A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is not a diving podcast with Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not a Diving podcast. Right. Okay. This week we have our first return guest. Recondite was the guest on episode two, and we recorded that nearly two years ago. So before we launched the pod, I recorded a bunch of episodes. So we had a few in the bank to get going with, and it must have been. I think it was probably September 21, maybe October, that I recorded the one with with Recondite. So yeah, I guess I've wanted to do this, I think primarily because I'm a big fan, as I've mentioned previously on the show a number of times, I'm a big fan of the comedy podcast circuit. And I think the, the issue that I have sometimes with our regular episodes on here is they sort of resolve themselves into a sort of profile type interview. I'm talking about, you know, asking whoever's on going through the kind of history of their career and stuff. And it's all a bit sort of chronological sometimes. And I think the, the advantage of having someone back is that you just can't do that. You know, it's like, that's already been done. So you're forced to talk about issues rather than events. And I think issues are more interesting, generally speaking, than events. And, um, you know, don't want to do it every time. But I think having people back is is a good thing, generally speaking. And this is a fun conversation today where you talk about afterlife quite a lot. Afterlife is just a huge phenomenon at this point. And Lawrence Reckondite has been part of it really since the start. And he's been playing all those crazy big shows with the crazy production and all that kind of stuff with the afterlife guys, with Tale of Us and all the rest of them. So we talk about that a lot in detail. I and mean, we also talk about AI in quite a bit of detail too, which is also really interesting. And I actually hit upon a question, hit upon a line of inquiry about that whole area, which I think is worth repeating with multiple interviewees, with multiple guests. So that was a, yeah, an unexpected bonus of doing this too. So I think we're just going to get into it. 
Before we do, a quick reminder that you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Scuba Official. There's two tiers, four US dollars a month and 10 US dollars a month, both of which are pretty reasonable, I think. The 10 bucks one, you get all the music that we release on Hot Flush and affiliated labels, so that's a good thing to do. If you like what we're doing on this show, then yeah, that's the place to do it. If you can't do that, or if you don't want to, for whatever reason, that's also cool. Hit the five-star button on the review function on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. That would be really appreciated too and does help the show. Join us for Discord, hotfushcoins.com slash Discord gets you to that Discord server and there is a private area for patrons, but also a not a diving podcast area. So it's hot flush server, but there is direct podcast stuff in there too. So we'd love to see you there. It was a nice bunch of people having constructive discussion in there. So yeah, join us. We'd like to see you. And follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. And actually, by the way, before we get started, I just remembered, I was a guest on Willie Joy's podcast last week. So I will put a link to that in the show notes too. It's an hour and a half or so of me wittering on about probably quite familiar subjects actually. But um, what I was saying before about the tendency to resolve into profile interviews that's something we talk about on the uh on that show too so yeah check that out you might enjoy it right without further delay here is recondite recondite welcome to the show how you doing good thanks for having me again um yeah, right. Welcome back. I should have said that. I was <laughs> going to say that, but then I, I totally didn't. Yeah, you're the first returning guest. So you oh. have the uh, dubious uh, accolade of being the first first person back on. Yeah, you were on episode two. So uh, we actually recorded it before we'd even started broadcasting this episode. So um, yeah, nice to have you back. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to be a regular, you know, just... Yeah, I, I really like the idea of having regulars, actually, because I mean, one of the things that I've I've banged on quite a lot about um, like comedy podcasts and the comedy podcast circuit, I mm-hmm. think is something which is really quite cool. And they yeah. totally do that. They do it a lot. So they do it a lot. Like yeah. also on the Lex Friedman pod- podcast, for example, um, there was uh, Andrew Huberman uh, uh, as a guest this week or last week. And I think he's also, I mean, they're friends. We are also friends. So I think, you know, it's, it's basically, it makes sense to sometimes, you know, extend the conversations after a couple of months, you know, like things happen. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's actually been nearly two years since we did, uh, <laughs> since we did our, our last one. So that's, that's a long time. Um, wh- where are you at the moment? Anyway, what, what are you doing? Um, right now I'm on Ibiza. Um, I played here last week and stayed here uh, a couple of days at a friend's house. And where did you play? I played at High at Afterlife. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, um, I had, how was that? That's really cool. I have to say, like I played the second room, you know, the former terrace um, mm. when it was still called Space. Um, now it's called the Club Room. And it's right. really that, I have to say. Um, it's, I mean, for a club, club, it's still big, this room, but um, it has a real dense pl- club vibe, I want to say. Yeah. The big room that they now call the theater um, is really a pretty big room. You know, um, it's, 
Yeah, I've only been there once since they redid it, actually. And all I can remember about that room is that there's just so many like VIP tables everywhere in, in that main theater um, room. I mean, is it still like that? Yeah, but you know, every, every night has its own design a little bit. Um, right. So I, I, do, I wouldn't even want to say too much about that because I, I don't, I'm not aware of how many like, table setups or what the table setups are on the other nights. But there are definitely tables. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no lack of VIP tables. <laughs> that's, that's for sure the reality. But um, it's I. They were like in the back, you know, in the behind the DJ booth. Like from my perspective, like when I walked to the main floor and checked out Tale of Us set a little bit. Oh shit! They have tables behind the decks. Not behind the decks straight, but, you know, like in the area behind the, right, the right, DJ booth. Right, right, yeah, okay. You know? and it totally makes sense. I guess that's like the, yeah, that's the super high value shit right there, right? I guess that's what people want to be. Well, I mean, there is no access to the booth from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The booth itself is also filled with people most of the time there, <laughs> um, but it's not the table area. So it actually, yeah, it's actually it's wild, that isn't it? It just got me thinking because uh, I, mean, I talked a lot about like the influence of boiler room on like parties generally, but hmm. I feel like the kind of um, like that kind of real kind of headliner mentality where you have tons of people in the box that that's not really the same thing, is it? It's not quite the same as that boiler room thing because it's it's so it's such a kind of exclusive thing. But it's all, I don't know, it's 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 something different, I think, to that kind of boiler room audience participation thing right yeah. is, is that right why am i getting yeah right? no i i was expecting now you like making the theory that boiler room started this whole crowd oh that's the, the thing i was yeah i was but i don't think it did i think it's something a bit different right i mean it's definitely different i'm just thinking myself if if the what was it when we did boiler room get big 2010 around i don't know um yeah something like that 10 was yeah I guess 10, 12 years ago, it really sort of took off, I think. Just showing a packed dancing crowd next to the DJ, basically. That, that, was, a best, that was a strong effect that Boiler Room sets had. Oh, absolutely. I think it's completely changed the way people perceive like DJ sets. But, that, that, but that, I think the, um, I don't know, I remember seeing a photo of Richie Horton DJing in Berlin, and it must have been something like mm-hmm. the mid two thousands, something like that. So certainly before Boiler Room became popular, and it was just him and a bunch of girls behind him. And I just remember like seeing that, <laughs> and it just clicking something in my head for the first time. I was like, "Shit, that's a really that's a powerful aesthetic, right?" Mm-hmm. And um, I think the way I perceive that it, kind of more Ibiza people in the DJ box is more it's like that rather than. The boiler room thing which is it's subtly different in my head i'm not quite sure what i'm trying to put my finger on here but like, i i feel like it is different it, it is it is different for sure um i think at boiler room for example it's um, maybe you know like whoever wants to make the effort and uh, go to the front and dance there and maybe whoever is like happy to um, be a little bit more extrovert uh, uh, and expressive you know, yeah, I mean, they want to be in the show, basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, everybody who wants that can do it. But I think um, sometimes in the DJ booth situation on Ibiza, for example, I think you have to be allowed to do it. <laughs> you have to be 
part of the inner circle, you know? Yeah, I guess the difference <laughs> is that with Boiler and the people want to be in the show and then that Ibiza thing is like more like you just want to be part of the gang right, sort of thing. Right, it's right. like a hangout mm-hmm. rather than taking part in the performance or so, something like that. to be fair, also friends then, you know, like colleagues and friends, like, um, for example, when I play in the, in the other room, um, it's kind of, um, I mean, the same and small, you know? So um, there's also like this little um, backstage area mm-hmm. and then there is the booth. Um, the booth there is always empty because like a, a, a one level down. Um, mm. So the backstage area is a bit higher up. Um, but, you know, like when you, when you bring some friends, they obviously get like a wristband that allows them access to there. So it's cool to have them there. Or if you have somebody working with you, coming with you. Um, so it's, it's also like this, like you said, like a bit gang crew vibe. But I think when it comes to the bigger uh, stages in terms of like Ibiza club areas, then, um, you know, it's, it's a whole political thing. Like who, who gets access, you know? For me, it's always weird. I mean, weird, not in a negative way, but just I'm, I never had this kind of, mm, let's say, entourage kind of operation right. going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I sometimes envy that, to be honest, um, because it, it is strong when you appear in the DJ booth and you play and your set is about to start and you have like 10 people with you. Um, there is a, a kind of a force coming with that, obviously, because now it's like a takeover. I never had that. Um, so it's definitely impressive, but it's also not like a, I miss it and I desperately want to have it because it's just not happening. So I don't force it mm. because it would feel unnatural for me and probably for everybody else. <laughs> um, right. But um, yeah, I mean, if there are like really sworn in crews, Mm, that come to the DJ booth as a couple of people. That's it's an it's an impress, impressive uh, impressive rollout. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, the, the few times that I've played in those sorts of environments, I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I very rarely kind of roll deep like that. But then mm, <laughs> it's mm. always like whoever's on before me who does have a massive crew and then they all leave when I start playing or like, or the next person's got a massive crew. And then as like yes. in the last five minutes of your set, suddenly, the, suddenly the booth fills up and it's just like, Oh shit. Okay. Happened so many times to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so with, with afterlife is, um, what kind of stuff do they put in the, cause obviously like everyone knows what the afterlife sound is these days. I think probably the mm. majority of people listening. Anyway. And I guess that's the theater room, but what kind of stuff are they putting in the, in the club room this year, this season? So, from what I observed last year, they had more like harder techno stuff there, mm. um, which is not so much the case this year. Um, from what I can see this year, they, um, they used the second stage more as um, a platform for like the, I want to say like a little bit like the really new acts okay. and the OGs. <laughs> and and I, I if I want to count myself in as an OG, if I want to put it like that, like uh, in terms of meaning that um, I'm just a member of Afterlife since the beginning, and from that beginning, the sound of Afterlife also changed, um, mm. and my sound, especially like a little bit more melodic, uh, big roomy tunes. Um, 
were heavily associated with the afterlife sound from the early hour, I would say. Um, but it evolved a lot, the sound. But there is still um, like a, a place there for, for that sound uh, in, the, in the whole afterlife environment. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't probably play also like the, those bigger outside events out of Ibiza afterlife events, you know, like I've been to um, Mexico City, to Buenos Aires, to Medellin already this year um, with the afterlife crew. Um, but you can tell that there is within the afterlife sound, there's a couple of different spectrums. And I would say the a little bit deeper, a little bit, um, yeah, also a little bit more techno oriented, um, a little bit less vocal heavy less less trancey mm. sound is 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 at home in the in the club room and I, i honestly think it's a very good fit because um now uh, the people who go there um to the ibiza afterlife party they can choose um between do they want like the more um accessible big room you know yeah yeah uh route or do they want to have like the same style but in a little bit more stripped down deeper maybe a bit more um clubby version um so they don't have to make the, the separation of like a really hard hard techno stage and then the afterlife stage because i honestly didn't think that fits together yeah, yeah right exactly yeah. that was gonna be yeah what i was gonna say that's um yeah that doesn't seem to work let me ask you about the um like going to different Uh, places with them like does the perception of the or the expectation of the people who are going to the shows vary much like or, or as i said does everyone just know what the afterlife thing is now and that's what they're coming for um well i mean you have to the variating um perception when it comes to different perceptions because it's a different country and those countries have, have specific uh, uh ways of reacting to music in general um speaking of like you know, outgoing crowds in South America or a bit more reserved crowds in different parts of the world. Um, but I would say um, from what I can see is that I have to honestly say that um, the crowds, especially for that size um, that those afterlife events are being played on these days, the vibe is in general, in general pretty good, I have to say. Also because This year, um, I mean, cities like Medellin in in Bogota uh, in in Colombia mm. um, are known for very very intense and very very educated crowds. You know, in terms of um, educated, in terms of they just know what they what they will get, right? And they hope for that, and therefore, if they get it, they celebrate it really strongly, and they show that in a in a way that is not just going crazy because i want to go crazy but going crazy because that what i expected is happening right yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and um yeah so i think the the crowds are in general um very good on those uh on those um afterlife events i have to honestly as i and i sorry that i talk so much but that as an end i would say um i would also admit it if it wouldn't be the case like if i would realize that especially also for an act like me that is like not as big as some other acts that play on afterlife uh, nights. Um, if I would realize that 
I don't enjoy playing there because my music just doesn't really work or something. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I, first of all, I, I wouldn't be able to pull it off then to repeat it, repeatedly be part of it. And second of all, I just, I couldn't do it because it wouldn't make sense for anybody, either for me, for the crowd or for the Afterlife crew itself. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, so just in terms of, um, my actual question, <laughs> they, so the Afterlife sound is, absolutely recognized everywhere that they're going and that and that's that's the thing like generally speaking would you say so okay you mean like i talk like a lot of stuff that didn't answer the question <laughs> well you answered a slightly different question no i mean you yeah. sort you sort of did i mean like so i yeah what, what you're saying is like how you fit in with it and and i guess that i understood your question now and yes i can answer it also directly like yes they 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 do recognize this sound instantly and also at events like outside of afterlife for example it's just at the moment it's just very big this whole thing especially yeah it's anima. fucking huge i mean that's that's kind of why i was asking i, I want to get sort of like confirmation as to my perception that this is some huge thing like and i guess it is right yeah i mean i have people i'm not it's not it's not there's nothing wrong with that because i co totally understand it and no no what i mean is for example sometimes i get like store uh messages or like on direct messages on instagram and you know people ask me friendly happened for example at electric island in in toronto where i played uh last week like if i would play any anima tracks you know? okay <laughs> i mean obviously i play live so it's if i didn't make an anima remix it's not gonna happen yeah you know so because i'm not a dj and there is no There's no harm in asking that question, but it shows me that there are a lot of people waiting for those tracks. And yeah, if there absolutely. are a lot of people waiting for those anima tracks, then the percentage is very high that there will be even more people that if a DJ would play an anima track there, um, that um, a lot of people will recognize it. So, yeah. It also says that people are associating you with the, the brand Like, if I can put it like that, you know, the, the afterlife yeah. brand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is nothing that I'm um, mad about, you know, because what I like about the afterlife operation is kind of also the thing that I described, like what sound and what acts do they put on the second room at the moment? Because, you know, like there are so many, I just put out the, the word, so many also like, commercial successfully tracks out there um, mm -hmm. um, on Afterlife. But the fact that there's still room also for like a little bit more cerebral stuff that maybe doesn't have vocals is something that I appreciate because, um, you know, other platforms maybe would decide, okay, um, we just gonna turn our back to the old stuff because the new stuff is really popping right now and um what should we care about that but it, it is that's not the case and what it shows me is that there is still a core a music a core musically understanding or, a, or how do you put that like a musical understanding of people who are you know cognizant of what they want to hear and it's not necessarily not necessarily the um Like the super, like you said, you used the word accessible before, and I guess that's that's the how I would describe that the sort of main, like the big room, like the main room afterlife sounds now. Like yeah. you say, there's vocals. It's very very poppy, um, and like it's it's absolutely, um, I guess, 
designed for a relatively mainstream audience, I guess. And like the fact that they're so successful, yes, I guess, reflects that, that to a certain extent, right? And still also within the artists or within the core crew of Afterlife, um, there's still um, a mutual musical understanding mm. with, in, between what I do, for example, and between what, um, for example, uh, Kevin DeFries is doing or, um, you know, Anima is doing. Yep. Um, there's still some, there are still some core values within the atmospheres and the vibe of the music that still match. So I like that they have an eye on that. Yeah, sure. You know? I mean, the, the other thing that's really big about those parties actually is the production, like the visual side of it. Um, and do you, mm. do, you, do you get the impression playing those things that, well, I mean, obviously the music's obviously the, the central thing. Like without the music, nothing happens there, right? But how much do you think from the audience sides, like how much of a draw is that, um, that, that really kind of spectacular production, production stuff that they do? Because it is pretty Im impressive. Yeah, it's it's a huge draw. Um, you you see it when you watch a Tale of Us or an anima show, and you know the robot appears. Um, every single phone is out. You know, it's just um, the people wait for that, and it's it's very it's very cinematic, and um, it's very impressive on how it's synced with the music. So it's it's really like an audiovisual experience. Um, and that is also one of the most important key factors that developed the afterlife success in the last two years, I would say, like, um, this situation where they bring the, the experience of a, let's still call it a, a big techno party, um, bringing that experience to a different level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like, I mean, cinematic's the right word, isn't it? It's almost like a fucking IMAX screen, that thing that they've got going on. Yeah, yeah. And you could you could have a debate if that's good for techno or not, you know, like, um, what is the, like, where are we going to with our scene and our music? And does now everybody have to make visuals like this? Because otherwise you're not interesting anymore. And um, is this the new standard is the bar set too high that people like um get uh, lured into a direction that is that have has nothing to do with the techno party anymore it's uh, funny I actually all those things as let me just interrupt you there because as you were saying that it just i was just reminded of boiler room again because i think what's mm. happened with boiler room is that it's changed people's expectations that's true you know and then i guess in a similar way like if, if your if your expectation as someone who goes to a party is that there's going to be some fucking IMAX screen with some unbelievable visuals on it, then yeah, where does that leave everything else, right? I'm bad, sorry, I interrupted. No, it's it, it's a good um, analogy um, with the boiler room situation. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm also constantly reflecting that um, as well uh, myself um, when I hear arguments that Afterlife or those type of events could um, disrupt or um, destroy some traditional um, techno party um, modalities. Mm -hmm. um, but in my opinion, uh, I, for me, it doesn't feel like that because it feels more like a completely different thing. Um, 
which yeah. holds core values of a techno party, but is not really one-to-one -one comparable. Um, as a matter of fact, I think that so many things have, or so many things did come up in the last two or three years, four years in the in the techno scene that were disruptive, you know in a way you know and mm -hmm. um all those things have its pros and its cons speaking of the hard techno wave for example um which i think is also very interesting momentum at the moment uh we can get into that later if you want um because um you know when when you have things happening there's always maybe a counter movement at some point um yep. there is also um something that tries to be then different again from what was big at the time you know and then new new stuff develops um i think it's a very interesting thing to observe i you know i i came into the whole um techno thing um by you know external ways you know i never was a raver i think we talked about that before um mm. But when I was coming in there, there was like this minimal wave starting, you know? You yep. remember that probably very well. You, you were doing dubstep mostly at that time, if I remember correctly. Yeah, sure. I mean, I definitely remember. I mean, I loved like the, um, before minimal was minimal. Like, I remember like the, like the minimal techno when it was still techno, like the kind of, you know, Dex effect, like the E9 close to the edit, that kind of stuff. I just fucking loved that mm -hmm. shit. And, you know, that was, yeah. as I've you know, talked a lot about that on the show with regards to, yeah, with, with regards to the hard stuff and how, As you said, as you just said, like you, there's always a reaction, or there's usually a direct reaction to something which is mm. like extreme, right? And I mean, hard techno now really is extreme <laughs> in certain cases, right? It's super extreme. Yeah, I mean, when I, if I judge it only like if I judge it not objectively, like in terms of like, okay, I see that this works at the moment, and there's a good reason why it works, and it makes sense that it works, and I like to see that people enjoy it. I mean, for me personally, it's obviously mostly unbearable. Like, it's uh, I, it's I, I just it's physical pain um, that I experience. But it doesn't matter what I feel, you know. Like, it's just interesting to observe the the, the things that happen in our scene, and um, yeah, like that's that's what I was was trying to say with. Well, Afterlife did. They they picked up that melodic techno wave between 2010 and 2020, and they, they didn't just pick it up. They also co-created it alongside other platforms, like in the visions at the time. You know, a bit more housey, but still the, the melodic thing after the heavy minimal wave with Richie Horton and and everybody um, and and the. The, 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 the techno um, um, revival coming out of Berkheim with Deadman and Clock and stuff, um, which also, you know, had a bit of melodies. Um, there was just, it was just time for, for this movement, which was growing so much between 2010 and 2020, to come to a level where it's a really, really broad audience. You know, yep. it was bound to happen. And Afterlife took that, that spot. Yeah, totally. And um, I did so in a way which I guess involved like it's like subtle tweaks to the music, I think. Like, you know, for example, I mean, vocals is is the thing, right? And that's, yeah, I guess, the right. difference between the more recent um, Afterlife stuff and the, the stuff that came out maybe in the sort of uh, maybe 
2015 or so. Yeah. Like it's having those big vocal hooks that really, that really yeah. like cements that kind of like wider audience. Right. Yeah. And getting songwriters involved. And yeah. Stuff like yeah. This. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, you know, it's not always mm. my cup of tea, but I mean, like you say about the, sure. the hard techno stuff, it's just, it's popular. And at some point, you know, at some level, you just have to say, okay. And, you know, get on with it. Fine. And, you know, I think if, if certain things are done in a, if things are done in the right way, then I think it goes a long way towards maybe mitigating some of the music stuff that you don't quite <laughs> see eye to eye with. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's completely normal. That's also like the, um, re the, those reactions, those counter reactions are also needed. And usually the, the foundation of interesting stuff happening. So at the moment I'm also also all the, all the time like speculating or reflecting um let's say the hard techno movement and and the commercial melodic trance trance techno as afterlife would be yeah. um let's say what 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 do those two have in common what do you think Is there something that you would think like those two movements have in common? And ex except that they are both big, but you know, like maybe from a content uh, I mean, perspective. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, well, I think that the um, the hard techno thing uh, directly um, emerged from the two years of lockdown or the year and a half of lockdown, hmm. right? And I think it's largely driven by a much younger audience who want to get out and express themselves uh, in raves where the music is their music, I guess. Mm. And I think from afar, my sort of, um, I haven't been to one of these crazy uh, afterlife parties with the, with the crazy visuals. I mean, I played for them a few times before the pandemic, but I mean, I haven't seen the, they've really ramped it up. And I think, I guess it's sort of the experiential thing, which is the, mm. which is the overlap. I would, If you had to put me on the spot, which you just did, that's what that's what I've come up with. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I guess that's the that's the kind of um, distinctive feature I would say yeah. of those parties, right? It's not so much the music, um, despite you know, I mean, absolutely agree with what everything you've just said about the music. But to me, like those, like the important bit or the most important bit in terms of just um, in terms of it being something different. Hmm. Is is the the focus on the or, or should we say the, the combination of that music and and the visuals and making it into a really um, distinguishable brand? You know, for want of a better term, hmm. I always come back to that word, and it's a really annoying word, but you know what I mean. And I guess it's the as like I said, if there was an overlap, then it's the experience, I suppose, of those environments, right? I don't know. Yeah. Did, did you have something in mind when you said that? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, uh, for me. Um, I agree. I agree with what you said also, but um, the most important thing that I realized that both things have in common is the energy level. Right. Obviously, it's two completely different interpretations of energy levels. But when I compare the stuff that is being played on the big afterlife stages at the moment, um, to my, when I compare that to my stuff, uh, it doesn't matter if it's like recent stuff or. 10-year-old stuff. Um, it's just a completely different energy level. I mean, mm. I never did like the energy-driven stuff in general, but maybe therefore I'm 
a good point to kind of compare it, you know, um, because um, it's when you look at the baselines, for example, um, that are used at the moment. I mean, it's a lot of the stabby baselines. The, the boom, 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 boom. Yeah, after yeah, yeah. The, after <laughs> the drop, I know, I know the ones you mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but. But the, the thing that is maybe even more important than that is the that is the 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 low the rumbling baseline going uh, like in sixteenth. Right. Yeah. 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 Because that's, that's, I mean? that's that's the da, trance da, 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 thing. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. Like and yeah. trance is 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 high energy music. Absolutely is. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely has that going on, doesn't it? Absolutely. And then and then, you know. Where where all where the music in general uh, evolved and probably will evolve all the time is the sound design. So nowadays we we can we can um, use all types of tools to create like insanely well sounding um, frequencies. You know, very sharp, very um, I mean, well sounding in exclamation marks because it's obviously subjective, but you know doing what's supposed to do on a big stage that's what i mean by yeah that. super like high you know a hi-fi sounding yes you know widescreen in you know, similar to the visuals actually yeah it's got it's 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 the um it's the perfect musical accompaniment to those high definition exactly. images right yeah. and by using those bass lines by using that sound design the, the sophistication of of arrangement and and the one one aspect in that type of music is also um there are no gaps there's no room for gaps in this type of music it's everything has to be filled right there, there's no moments where you take a breather or something even though there are sometimes silence gaps and breaks but even those are very much supposed to be there so there is never a moment where something happens that's not supposed to happen mm. so all those things together um create a lot of energy um so and then you add the visuals and that's like a pure stimulant like right. um it it goes through like there's no second of well, i could get get a bit bored now here uh, you know when you're a fan okay if you hate this music you get bored i know that of course right. <laughs> you go there and you, you hate it you get bored but if you go there and you're a fan you're def you're not going to get bored because you like it you, you're going to be picked up exactly where you ordered <laughs> um and and uh and therefore you can just dive into that energy level and just ride with it all the time and then you have the massive snare rolls and the, the effects and then you have the drop that blows you two meters back and um then you see the robot bouncing on the wall <laughs> and it's just it's a full-on experience i tell you what it is um, it's, it's very much a rave mentality as opposed to a club mentality right yeah so it's yes. like it's everything is happening at once it's it's yeah like you say it, it lends itself to short sets as well like it's it's kind of like go on and, and just blast as hard as you can yeah um and give you know and, and that you know big stages are like that you know like you have to keep people's attention um and, yes, and that's i think but, like go on sorry no i'm sorry i interrupted you it's my bad well, I was what I was going to say was that I mean the other thing that I've banged on about as well is is is, is festivals generally and and the kind of prevalence of those big stages, right? And and what that what they do, what what playing on those big stages does, uh, to to the music, yeah, um, and to, to the approach of the performers, yeah, right. But I think like yeah, what what but what you're saying is specifically about this uh, 
this um phenomena because it is a phenomena i think at this point is um yeah i mean i absolutely agree and and yeah i mean and the the like the um the similarity to the hard techno stuff which is exactly the same thing i mean what, what i've always been tempted to compare the new hard techno stuff to is like basically speeded up tech house Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's got all these like samples and like snare rolls and like I mean. So what I wanted to add to the the afterlife thing is that um, it's I, I've been I had a discussion with Matteo, um, the Tale of Us, one of the Tale of Us guys, and the Anima person, the person behind Anima, um, um, and I was talking to him about this phenomenon of the energy level that is demanded. I put it out there like this. It, it is de facto demanded by most of the people who go to parties, even to clubs, like not just big rooms, also to like small clubs in a mid-sized city in Germany. The people are expecting to be blown away. It doesn't even, a lot of times it doesn't even really matter how, but they want to be blown away. Like it doesn't matter if it's with 160 BPM or with 126 but if it's 126, this shit has, shit has to blast, you know? There, there is no room for, like, um, uh, Ricardo Villalobos style um, experimentation in the deep realm of um, minimalistic uh, organic sounds, you know? Yeah. It's, I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my experience. While I constantly tour on a you know, mid-size volume through all types of venues, like big ones and really small ones. But this is my observation at the moment. The zeitgeist at the moment is you have to bring energy level. And if you do it with hard techno, it's cool. And if you do it with big trancey stuff, it's also cool. But if you don't do it, then you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and it's, 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 it's the zeitgeist. And um, I think it, it totally makes sense. There was this... Um, interesting phase between 2010 and 2020 where you could get away with less energy level on big stages mm. i think it actually and that was what i talk talk about with with matteo uh, and he said also that it was kind of like a how did he put it like a mm, out of the order phenomenon mm-hmm. yeah. because you said it has always been like that and that's very true. You know, like on the big stages, there was always a demand for energy levels. But for some reason, a guy like me, starting with like introvert, minimal, deep house techno music, that is like really, uh, you know, I mean, man, ours name is Recondite. You know, you can <laughs> look in the dictionary what it means. You know, like it's, it doesn't mean extrovert and outgoing, blasting aggressive stuff that it's, it's the opposite of that so um uh but i was suddenly playing big stages <laughs> mm. so uh, that's a good um uh, example right there that we had kind of this little loophole um for 10 years where uh this minimalistic melodic techno stuff got really big mm. and um uh if i want to put it a little bit aggravated this had to be corrected. Right. Um, so this situation had to uh, erupt at some point. Uh, 
And then we had. Yeah, the, it and, makes sense. Yeah. And, and because of that, that's where I wanted to correct you because you said the pandemic and the hard techno wave. But the thing is that the, the hard techno wave started already before. Sure. Yeah. 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 But, but the right. pandemic put the kerosene into the fireplace yeah i think it yeah it just accelerated that yeah kind of direction of travel right it just put a turbocharger and all of that stuff exactly exactly and th i think that's very interesting because now we have the situation of um everybody expecting this energy level as we elaborated now but the thing now is what happens after that yeah let me just ask you though how has that change affected how you play personally Because like you say, your, your music isn't necessarily uh, designed <laughs> for this. So um, first of all, I'm, I'm lucky that I also always had this second um, part in my music that is a bit more techno, like my old dystopian tracks and all, all that stuff. Mm. So um, I have this side as well a little bit where I can go a bit harder. Um, and then, um, honestly, I... I can't explain it so well, but um, somehow uh, I, I still don't, like I, I played, you know, Masano, right? Mm -hmm. Masano, the, the, the DJ. And, you know, he, he had one of the biggest tracks uh, in the afterlife scene last year, I think. Um, and um, I, I had to play after him recently. Um, and he plays very, you know, solid, big sets, you know, and the crowds really love him and it really goes off. Um, and I was a bit curious on how I would actually perform after him. Also because it was like a 90-minute set and for, for my, my live sets, 90 minutes is always, I have to, you know, dig a little bit deeper. Um, I cannot, you know, play one of my hits after the other because I have to like also maybe go a bit um, more atmospheric at times. Um, and when I play 90 minutes, it's sometimes, um, it's, it's kind of relevant who plays before me in order to be able to tell what's going to happen. Um, and um, I was surprised because it actually worked quite well. Um, but to answer your question, I definitely have to adapt. Um, so I only can um, adapt to a um, certain amount because I'm limited to my own productions. Um, so I have a lot of new productions that definitely already have different approaches. I would allow myself to say that they still have the recondite DNA But uh, obviously, when I play after Masano or after Kevin De Vries or something, uh, obviously I put a couple of snare rolls in there every once in a while. You know, and <laughs> right. it's, it's it's you got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah, yeah. It's because I and I honestly I I don't feel bad about it because it is what it is. The, the crowd reaction is coming. You know, what should I say? Sure. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, at the end of the day, like you're performing to a crowd, right? And not all environments are the same. And sometimes you have to adapt. And this is true, like even for the biggest bands, actually, you know, you play sometimes in a slightly different way, depending on where you are and depending on, you know, um, the environment. So exactly. Yeah. 
This is nothing to be <laughs> nothing to be embarrassed about at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I I'm just at this middle ground between like this small underground artist, also not really big, you know, but also not that small anymore, you know. Like it's like this completely middle thing at the moment for me, um, and mm, so. I don't, uh, you know, how do you call this word? Procrastinate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, myself and say, okay, snarls, forget it. Not allowed. It's that doesn't fit my codex. It's not the aesthetic I want to have. You know, if I would say that, I wouldn't play it, the snarl. Mm. Um, but I'm just not, in my point of view, I'm just not that dogmatic about it, you know? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, yeah, example, actually, this I, actually, let me, let me instruct you there and say that that um, <laughs> reminds me of when I remember talking to you when you first went and played uh, Enter. Uh -huh. And you were you were talking about adapting <laughs> adapting your set for that. Having watched Richie um, do his thing with the, uh, um, he had some he had some shit that you that you uh, were very into with some uh, modulated snare roll thing that he did. And he was you like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like, fuck, I need to I need to work out how to do that. <laughs> that was years ago. Now that was like ten, I mean, at least ten years ago, twelve years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you've always been very pragmatic about these things. I think. But that tells me a lot about the shelf life of a snare roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, snare rolls are, you know, an enduring device, right? To make people put oh, their yeah. hands in the air, you know, they, they, no. don't, they don't get old. <laughs> enduring device. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> That's funny. Totally. So how much touring have you been doing generally? Um, because we, we talked about this last time we, I and mean, we have talked about it lo loads over the years too. Like how much, what is your, what have you resolved into? How many shows have you um, played? I've been doing the five to eight shows a month thing for quite some time now, since the pandemic was over and since touring came back, I've been doing the five, six, seven shows a month routine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that gives me like, I don't know, 60, 70 shows a year. It's quite a lot though. It's quite a lot. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's also, you know me, I'm, Sometimes I have difficulties touring um, and um, I think everybody does, but it always depends on like what infrastructure do you build around yourself or how, you, how are you structured in order to be able to cope with it. But touring is never really easy. Um, 
And um, so I have to do some workarounds, but for now, this seemed like uh, at least um, routine that I can work with. Mm. Um, but there are definitely a couple of things I, I still, you know, want to improve um, on my on my end um, in terms to structure things a little bit different and um, and see like um, how can um, how can I for me personally personally do the best um what 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 is the best that I can do to maintain my touring career a little bit you know for the next couple of years because you know i i i have to you know when I think about it, I have to face it at the moment it, this is my um my occupation mm -hmm. um and um I remember we said in the last pod when we talked about during one of our personal training sessions that's when my touring started um that 10 years of touring would be a goal that i have right and um i'm pretty much there now so obviously i quit my job as a trainer and as a physiotherapist although i still really dig a lot in this field um i still um, on so many blogs and YouTube channels about training and rehab and regeneration and all that. Um, so it's just this will never leave me, and I think I benefit a lot of that. But um, yeah, um, the touring this summer so far sometimes has been a bit strenuous because I don't know why. Maybe it was just bad luck. I just experienced a lot of flight delays and cancellations and um, airport stuckness um mm -hmm. but uh, i think all most or most of the other colleagues they all go through the same thing um so it's just it's just part of it but yeah i mean that's the job right yeah but to be honest to go back to what i did sorry last thing about touring I, to be honest like to go back to what i did in 2014 or 15 16 playing 130 shows a year i mean that was something that had, in my opinion, had to be done because it was my first good run as an artist. And mm. I also wanted to experience that, but I quickly learned that this doesn't fit my personality nor my lifestyle that I would like to have in order to live well and have a healthy life and have a good psychological and physical hygiene. Mm. You know, like um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, how? You, I mean, you're married. How much of a? I've, I've, it's funny. I've never asked this question of anyone before on the show, um, and it's always on my list of things to ask. I never, for some reason, I've never got, got around to asking it. But how much pressure is it put on your like personal relationships doing that, doing this sort of touring? And, and what you were just saying there, like how much of that stuff that you you know want to mitigate, want to manage? How much of that is like personal relationship stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, also, not so easy to answer um, because uh, within 10, 12 years that I'm now um, on the road, there are so many ups and downs um, mm. in every aspect. Um, uh, personally, relationship-related, career-related, then COVID, all that. So um, I think... Besides the fact that every relationship has its ups and downs, 
the touring schedule um, definitely adds um, an interesting, unusual component to a relationship. Um, mm. Unusual in terms of just what most people' situation is, you know. So, just grooving, for example, in a marriage, just grooving into the life together, and finding a groove. In the best case, maybe some people have family and have kids. And then the groove is even more deep in terms of routines and you know school kindergarten yeah sure whatever and but you know when you when you tour you, for me at least i experience a lot that I, i i get i'm out of the groove you know so i let's say i'm at home for for 10 days because i have a weekend off and then the first day on on tour is always difficult because i just my, my whole system is is thrown over Like I, suddenly I go to bed later, I am in an airplane, I can't move freely really because I have to, you know, like have pick, meet pickups times to the airport, to the hotel, to the club and back. And then, you know, you are in the airport after security, you are moving in this space that is kind of hermetically sealed and then you wait for the boarding time and the boarding doesn't start and then you board and then there is an issue with the plane and then you sit on the runway for an hour and so you, you of course you can decide okay do i watch my downloaded seinfeld episodes on netflix or do i watch um i don't know uh game of thrones or whatever um or do i read a book or do, this you can decide but you cannot say okay guys i'm, I'm out of here um please land the plane um i have to go yeah you could fake a heart attack or something but <laughs> So, um, so you're not really like, you have to adapt to this thing, you know, especially if like, in a way you're also so used to it already because you've done it so many times in the last cent, like in the last 10 years. So you get into that groove. So suddenly you're fine with like, uh, okay, airport, well, uh, okay, this airport has good food over there. Uh, so, you know, so you start to like get routines and habits and suddenly you're system adapts to the situation um yeah okay i was in the hotel gym ah, okay i feel better my hormone le hormone level is a little bit adapted so i sleep longer i sleep until 12 a.m because i went to bed at four or five okay and i need to hydrate um okay i feel better now it's not so thrown off anymore okay but then the tour is over four days later you get home the whole thing is changed again mm. you know so um and then there is a partner you know and um, the partner has also a rhythm, obviously. So um, sometimes maybe the partner comes with you on tour, sometimes not. A lot of times the partner has to also work his own job, her own job. And, you know, and then you have to sync up again. And the syncing up, at least in my experience, um, because you asked me now, sometimes takes a couple of days. When I was on a longer tour, it's sometimes even harder. Because maybe you're chat lagged, maybe you are. Also, for me, it happens a lot that I on tour. I'm, for example, if I travel alone, like I feel so closed off, and suddenly my body adapts to this even more introvert mind state that I usually have. 
because there's just nobody to talk to the whole day. Yeah. Okay, maybe I order water uh, to the cabin attendant um, uh, <laughs> yeah. or something, but uh, there is no real conversation going, maybe on the phone, but sometimes there's really a lack of just communication, like eye-to-eye -eye communication. And then you suddenly come home and then you, you, then you are like this, all of a sudden you are this double being again. You know? Right, yeah. And, and both really have to find a groove to handle that. And this is the situation that my wife and me are very aware of. You know, and I think many things in life, when you when you when they they are not easy, but you want to cope with them, um, you need to start to reflect the whole thing. You know, and so that's why I say my wife and me we are aware of this situation that um, all those things with the closed offness and the different rhythm and the you know we we know that this is the case, so we can be a bit more. Um, uh, accepting in the behavior of the other um, because we know why it happens so i think in our relationship this was the most important thing to just analyze like why am i in such a ridiculously bad mood at the moment <laughs> right. and why am i like um putting this on you somehow now because i'm just this grumpy person sitting around here doesn't want to do anything um and then you find it out why and then say, ah okay Uh, so maybe you put you put, we put you five minutes into an ice bucket and then your hormone uh, system is regulated again. Maybe you are a normal human being again. And then you start implement, or we go to the gym and, I don't know, kill ourselves with an hour of CrossFit. And, um, or you just say, okay, just have to take a sleep of 10 hours because otherwise you can't do shit. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and if you have somebody who understands this and vice versa, then you can handle it. But it's definitely a challenge. But you learn a lot. I hope I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, you know, I tend to talk a lot. No, here. no, I'm no. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, how often does she come with you to shows? What was a uh, yeah already this year a couple of times. Um, I was in a USA Canada tour. I had five shows. She was with me there just recently, um, which was very cool. Um, we had a good time together. Because um, uh, I have to also, say, like, go on. Sorry, finish. No, no, please. Well, I was going to say, the reason I asked that is because when, I mean, I've always traveled on my own, like generally speaking, anyway, that's, that's been like, kind of like, um, it's like the standard way I've done touring. Um, like I've never had a tour manager. I just, I just kind of roll around my own. And mm -hmm. when I've, whenever I've tried to, you know, bring, bring people with me who aren't even with tour managers actually, but certainly with like, you know, with, with girlfriends or whatever, it, I've really struggled with that change in the dynamic because i guess i think the way i've dealt with touring is to kind of cocoon myself up into this mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like getting into a different character you know and that's just, this yeah. is just like how this is how i am when i'm touring mm -hmm. and introducing someone else into that i found really difficult actually yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely hear you this is this is just this is what i meant you know mm. um because you you need to find for yourself a mode where you can cope with it Yeah. Um, and then the harder it gets, the more intense the mode is, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, for me, <laughs> luckily, my wife, she really loves it on being on tour. Um, you know, <laughs> oh. it's, yeah, like, because she, she, she loves traveling. And she's a bit the opposite of me. Like, 
she's always trying to you know keep up the good mood and stuff and i sometimes i sometimes like get into this closed off mode and you know get a little bit depressed or whatever uh, you know when when i feel alone or if there is something that is just bugging me maybe it doesn't even have to do with touring but some private thing or whatever but uh over the years also my wife implemented a strategy for her to just you know stay calm and you know see the things a little bit less uh um strained mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that that helps me but obviously that um sometimes it can also be there can also be difficult uh situations on tour when you are um you know both maybe super tired um a travel is particularly strenuous um obviously there can be situations where you know you start like going on on each other's nerves a bit or maybe yeah, even a fight sure. you know but there also you know you need to find a, a solution for a situation where um, you you have a fight on tour you know i think what helps is if you have a general this might sound boring for a lot of people maybe it also is but if you have a general um uh, let's say uh life situation and um environment while you tour for example now uh, with your partner um, that allows certain peaks in terms of okay let's we have a day off let's do this or that and let's try to maybe explore uh, the city or do something else yes but it for me or for us it's helpful to have not too many lows and highs right sure means um first of all like obviously drug situations uh, <laughs> alcohol situations uh, should be either avoided or um treated very carefully <laughs> <laughs> you know um that's what i meant it sounds boring but uh, it just helps you know we know what's funny like so it's so much more common now for people to be teetotal that's such a noticeable change that I have what, sorry, what does it mean this word uh, not not drinking not 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 doing drugs ah, just yeah, like, yeah okay mm -hmm. yeah it's so much more common and it seems to be I mean it, I mean it has been steadily becoming more common but it seems to be now like like it's almost the majority of TJs that I know are teetotal in some or at least not drinking or something it's a real been a real big change certainly from like yeah certainly from when I started when it was just fucking just drink as yeah. much as you possibly can <laughs> well, um, as well okay no it's interesting um i also have a little bit of a different um observation <laughs> okay <laughs> from some djs you know well there's um, always this was outliers for sure no but i think still i know what you mean i can attest to the fact that i also met a couple of djs who have like those periods where they say okay i'm not drinking i'm like completely sober but for us or for me also if i'm alone it just works better to do this whole situation just or to do this whole uh, alcohol thing and everything under really strict moderation mm. you know and that's luckily one thing i don't know where it is or coming from or where it came from 
But moderation in terms of intoxication was always one of my things that came to me very natural. I never was an addictive personality or some excessive person. I never had this excessive personality when it comes to intoxication. Like, it just, there is this point where I don't feel well and I know I'm gonna fucking regret it the next day. And then I cannot go on. There is like a barrier. I, this, I can imagine, I can remember maybe two situations in my whole life where I went too far. Right. Like in terms of alcohol, for example. Um, Would you like to share either of those with, with us? <laughs> well, I mean, it's the one that was really young. Uh, it was like in the teenager years. It's mm -hmm. just a typical thing. There was like this. Yeah, you have to do it once to see what it's like, right? Basically. Yeah. Basically, it's very, my, <laughs> it was my, my first girlfriend ever. And you know, she, she, she went to this school exchange thing to the US mm. for like a month or two. And she left and I was like so sad, you know. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I was like 16, 17. Mm. Mm. And we, I went out with a couple of friends in this small town where I grew up. And there was this bar, which was kind of the spot for the, you know, early 20-year-olds, teenager people, you know, hanging mm. out it was more like this rock, heavy metal type bar, like indie rock, alternative grunge um, thing. So it was a, it still exists actually, but it's, you know, it's, it's still kind of the same thing, but it was kind of a hot spot at the time. And a crew of my friends, they were playing this drinking game, you know, I, oh, I remember the, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly how it went, but how are those classes called in, in English that they use in the labs? Those Reagenzgläser, we call them in German. Um, like those law, that the long, the really small. Oh, like a test tube, very, test tube. Yeah, test tube, yeah. this type of thing. So they had those test tubes and like, and there was this rolling the dice thing <laughs> and, and there was different drinks there. Like obviously some insane sugary uh, mixed vodka red bull things you know mm -hmm. um and then you know if, i don't know exactly how the game went but the thing is i re i remembered that i woke up in my bed and unfortunately the floor didn't look good anymore <laughs> that's all i can say <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, okay um, yeah i think i think people listening to this would have had similar experiences somewhere down the line yeah um and that, but that was also <laughs> I maybe I needed that once. I never had that again in my whole life. So yeah, I could I was able to 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 make the check mark on that. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So going back to that, I never really Yeah, I mean I think a lot of people use it as a well, I think it's used as part of well, I think there's two two sides to it. Obviously it's there's, there's a major kind of lifestyle thing. So people who have come into the scene from or have come into like doing it professionally from being a raver, like, like you said, like that was not your experience, but obviously lots of people come into it have been, and obviously that's part of the lifestyle. But also I think, you know, people do it as a way of coping with what it's like being on the road as well, you know? And I think that's like a, I think that's you know, a common to people who get into, you know, difficulties with sure. drink and drugs. Like it's just, um, it's a kind of comfort blanket for a lot of people. De dealing with what is a pretty extreme lifestyle, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's kind of a natural way of dealing, of um, reaching for something which is going to make it feel a bit easier, you know, and I think that's, you know, so many people have problems with that, obviously. 
and and even though that I have my strategy um, in doing stuff in moderation, I, from my personal uh, perspective, and especially in the long run, that's the way I choose to do it. And I think for me personally, it's better. But that doesn't mean that while I'm on tour and while I might feel miserable because of whatever reason, that I wouldn't think that maybe just that holding back all the time and being doing everything in moderation and not letting go sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. maybe also that makes it harder for me because sometimes I... I feel maybe that I'm not really part of something or... Uh, right, I, yeah. Um, I mean, I was, was going to ask that as a question, actually. Like, do you ever feel like you're missing something by not doing this? Like, so, I guess, socially or like... Or certainly, like I said, or being part of a scene like this, being part of a musical sort of movement where everything is, to a large extent, revolving around, certainly in the audience anyway, getting wasted. And it's obviously common to people working behind as well, you know? Do you ever feel like you're, you've missed something? Um, yeah, but in a way um, where I could comparably um, describe it as, for example, um, that I say, okay, I I miss that I never grew two meters ten and became a professional basketball, <laughs> right? You know, so I I know I know it's not gonna happen, but it would have been nice to be able to dunk, right? Sure, at some point, sure, or that I. You know, miss sometimes that I didn't finish my school with the highest degree or something, or maybe that I did the physiotherapy school and not um, um, an MDA or something, mm -hmm. you know. So I could list a lot of things that I could potentially miss. And some are maybe closer to reality missing, and some are maybe further away of reality missing. Mm. For example, the basketball player. but. Uh, I'm in general very, very happy with the way that I am and with the way that I'm handling uh, the whole thing. But but there are um, moments where I think, do I fit in this world? Um, do I am I actually like uh, doing something with doing this job that fits my personality or? Am I actually only trying to survive? Am I doing this because it's just it's my job now and I'm trying to be still healthy on the same side and I'm actually still that personal trainer type guy um, that just has a better opportunity also maybe financially now? Mm. Um, or is it still the fact that I still just really, really, really enjoy making music and then seeing it how it performs on a dance floor mm. yeah you know working on it and making it just work and like still being able to able to to honestly say okay this is something that i made because i felt it in the first place mm. and and this is i didn't make this track as a product because actually i'm not really good at that doing tracks as products i think it's a skill a very sophisticated yeah, sure. skill um but i'm not so capable of that skill yeah yeah totally totally so i want to change tack here um i had on my notes 
that I have to ask you about artificial intelligence <laughs> because um, okay, because I know you're going to have an opinion. Do you perceive? And I'm not asking this in a loaded way. But genuinely, do you perceive a potential upside for um, what we, what the kind of stuff that we do in music? Like, is there a direct gain to be had? Do you think? by any use of AI technology, whether it's, you know, in the studio or in shows or in, you know, whatever. Is, is, is there an upside to this stuff, do you think? Uh, you ask me if there is a direct benefit. Um, this is a very concrete question, um, which is fair enough. But my initial reaction would be to answer on the question if there is an de facto beneficial effect when it comes to producing music or being an artist or tour or whatever my initial thing is like possibly mm -hmm. that's what i would initially say like um that is actually that's obviously a very vague answer <laughs> but um i just um i'm just that not way, that, that, 100 that's, that's sure sure that mean that that suggests that there isn't an obvious thing jumping out at you. I mean, I can think of a lot of things that jump out of me as being being negative. <laughs> you know, those those things are just yeah. like there's just loads of them yeah. I can I can think of off the top of my head. And I've been kind of scratching yeah. my head as a, and I'm sure that art. I mean, you know, a, a big you know part of any emerging technology is you just don't know how it's gonna play out. Like just mm -hmm. at a general level, like it's impossible to start. You know, I think like, the ubiquity of social media was not predictable in 2000. You know, that was just not something that, That's you know, you could have, you could have picked out. So, but I'm just, I'm interested in people's intuitions about this, you know, because I think yeah. it, there's, there's a, there's a real, um, uh, kind of knee jerk reaction, I think, um, of people and not just musicians. I mean, generally speaking, when you talk to people about AI, people are quite scared yeah. of it. People are quite intimidated by it, I think. And they're quite, they feel threatened by it quite a lot. Yeah. And I think that's an understandable reaction completely. But also, I also think it's, um, it's uh you know it's it, like i said it's it's um people's mm, scenarios move to the, the negative i think instinctively a lot of the time about this stuff mm -hmm. um that's a good that the last sentence you said is also very important i think i really liked the episode you recorded with sam valenti mm. um because obviously i know him well i know you well um, and you also touched the topic of ai And I, I liked the way of the way how level-headed he he replied uh, to the whole uh, AI topic. Mm. Um, like in general, I like his level-headedness as a person a lot. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that really, really much because he's, he's not. He he always has opinions, you know, but he just doesn't aggravate them in too many ways, you know. Yeah, but sure. He knows exactly what he thinks at the same time. Um, no, but uh, for me, the, 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 the AI thing is, I, I recently um, thought about when was for me, like, let's say, um, the first thing where I could, maybe, I mean, well, of course, not that, that sophisticated, but what's the first thing where I got in touch with AI, like with a generated thing by a computer? Like, um, it's obviously video games. Um, so I remember when uh, we had, we had a Super Nintendo, my cousin and me, mm. um, and we had a, a soccer game um, called Sensible Soccer, which was like this. You know it? Yeah, of course. 
Sensible soccer it's, was um, a key factor in my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it had it had something very distinct to it, right? Like it was completely different. Already the perspective from the top, like the bird's eye view perspective, like completely different to FIFA 95 or whatever. And one thing you could do there, you could play leagues, you know, you, you could play tournaments, um, but you could play a whole like league schedule, for mm. example. And, um, and what you could do and what you couldn't do in other games at that time was that you, there was an option to have a whole season uh, completely simulated by a computer. You just right. didn't uh, choose that you were the player. And then just the league schedule, like, ta -ta 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 -ta, went down, and the results and the standings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, there was a champion, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was like a completely computer generated outcome. And I, I, I never, I, I, I was always younger than my cousin, but my cousin was always doing that, okay, like simulating leagues. Really? Wow. And he was like, ah, oh, you see, Sasha Ma won again, and then. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like this, why are you not playing, man? Like, what is this? Um, and then, he, I mean, he's like this, a little bit like cerebral, brainy, mathematic type person, you know? So he really liked just to see the numbers coming out there and the simulation. He didn't even have to play. <laughs> and And I thought back to this thing and I think, You know, that was the first time where I saw, I mean, not uh, understanding it at the time, not knowing about it at the time, mm. but it was the first time where I saw, okay, um, a completely artificial thing can actually entertain my cousin. Right. Uh, yeah, interestingly. Sure. Yeah. So um, just, you know, at this, I have to think about this story every time I'm kind of connected to AI questions because... Mm. Um, It has been, in a way, it has been go going on for so long, but, and there I connect to the conversation you had with Sam, because you came to, to, to a similar point, but then you said, but the acceleration of the development in the recent times has been like drastically faster. And that's obviously very true. Mm. And, and there are many things uh, that um, have to, we could potentially be scared of and, Actually, there was a conversation of a friend of mine on Thursday at the at the event with um with another colleague, and he was just saying, "Yeah, in ten years, uh, AI, AI took over, anyways. You know, we right. don't have to even worry because it's happening. <laughs> What are you, whatever you're talking about, it's like it's a done deal." And then there was like this little discussion about, "Yeah, but how do you want to?" How can you say this? Do you, you are not Nostradamus, nor you have a silver ball or whatever. And um, whatever. For me, it's also a bit like uh, if we are very, very unfortunate, then uh, I don't know, like um, us ourselves or some countries that are fighting will destroy the planet. Mm. Um, or um, we all gonna go down because of. Um, the globe heating up, which is happening, you know, um, or AI is going to take over and just uh, come to the equation that um, the only thing humanity really is, is actually um, a problem. 
um, so you know might want to erase us right know? yeah i mean a lot a lot of this stuff does tie into uh the sort of human tendency to catastrophize you know and to kind of assume that there is some end of the world event looming let me ask you something specific though um mm-hmm. how do you feel about ai models using your music to to be trained uh, yeah how, how do you feel about ai models learning from your stuff and then being able to generate music like you know if, if um you hit into chat gpt make a recondite track and the fact that it yeah. was able to do that would depend on it having you know scraped your data essentially or you know used your um yeah artistic output like, how do you feel about that what's your what's yeah. your instinct like mm. when 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 you consider that you know open ai's um potentially trillion dollar company off yeah. the back of other people's work like what's your instinct when you think about that yeah yeah i'm gonna answer very honest um so um there are two things um first of all um actually my i actually believe that there is no foreseeable situation now where ai is able to copy this weird full of mistakes mixed down mistakes too loud bass drum uh, weird melody um awkwardly arranged um but still weirdly distinctive vibe why you know what is this why is this sounding melancholic it doesn't make any sense and it's actually very redundant and um kind of uh not even complexly made but still it does something that not a lot of other things do why what is this i first of all i i'm not scared that ai can reproduce this weirdness you know because um it and 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 then if it can if if it reaches that sophistication that it can replicate this singular product then it's totally fine for me because then i'm just my story is just told you know if if ai thinks that it's so important to reproduce recondite shit you know then yeah, I'm, and that's an achievement. Yeah, I mean that, that's uh, yeah, okay, that, that's one way of looking at it. I suppose what um, if it was to inform the algorithm about musical styles more generally, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you you know if if it was to um, well, I think that's the way these things work, right? So there's an aggregate of data which is in a certain area combined, right? Which which then uh, leads to its ultimate output in a certain area right i mean like just in the in the context of well if you're thinking about how big tech companies have become so powerful off the back of selling selling data for advertising basically and it's essentially selling people's personal information and over time these have built up into you know these kind of like world dominating firms like do, do you i mean how do you think about that for a start i mean do you feel any differently about that thing having happened to you as it has happened to all of us and then does that generally, does that change your thinking about, you know, the, well, does that change your initial answer at all? If I ask the question in that way. Um, I, I see where you're getting at. Um, um, it doesn't really change it because um, I am already also uh, 
obviously aware of those things happening and obviously they they weird me weird me out a lot but um my first reaction now was while thinking about it like um you know when you said um big tech companies having like control and taking over and stuff i mean i don't know but it's also it used to be oil companies maybe still is used to be banks that kind of rule the world uh, mm -hmm. in exclamation marks um uh, whatever um theories there might be uh, this is such a complex question um i don't know if i really can answer that you know like um i can easily um drag my mind into worrisome context mm -hmm. um and this this could be many things though um this could be natural catastrophes this could be climate change this could be war this could be a virus this could be uh ai um so but if i put all this together and i maybe i'm not satisfying you because maybe i'm not like an adequate counterpart to what you would like to discuss no 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 i mean I, i'm i'm what interests me actually is 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 people's instinctive like reactions to this stuff i think this is fascinating yeah. so yeah i mean absolutely yeah so but my conclusion then is always um like to what level do i want to concern first i try to like observe how much do i want to concern about a certain topic then I try to analyze how much can I do about it actively myself. Sure. Then at the third position is um, how does this affect me? Um, and then I put those three together. And if, if, if it's like those um, huge topics like big tech companies, um, controlling the world and stuff you know that is already something where i i just it's just too far for me to comprehend this okay. world is um is, is just you know how could i ever um have an let's say sophisticated opinion and grounded and researched enough viewpoint about a topic like this where people have operations that are far beyond my personal imagination capability um how could i ever like touch that like uh, because i'm just sounds like really like uh trying just to avoid trouble you know but um i i do see myself as a little warm in this existence okay well let me ask you something a bit more specific which might bring it back down to earth i think so there's a there's a project ongoing which aims to enable um like artists and creators anyone who's doing anything creative online to be able to opt out of ai training models like do you does does recondite opt out of of this like opt out meaning um like i mean it, it takes your um so it would, in, in your instance, it would take your music, it would make your music unavailable to AI training models, basically. It would stop them being able to use your music to be able to train on. Um, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you hit the opt-out button? What's your, what's your instinct? So 
That's that's a good question. Um, to my defense, I would say I have to think about it, but I'd give you my first initial reaction mm-hmm. would be no, I wouldn't opt out. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Can you can you explain that at all? Um, yeah, um, a little bit into that direction of um, where I said, first of all, um, this not very... Uh, super accessible but still somehow valuable type of electronic music that i do mm-hmm. um this uh, niche 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 that i do um uh, if ai wants to replicate replicate that and does it with success then i clap my hands mm. um and second of all if i uh, my music is so important that actually a replication is interesting for many people um or for ai itself then i'm i feel a bit honored also um and in the best case when we are that or when ai is that sophisticated that it can actually nail that in the best case we as humans as we are still under control in exclamation marks Mm. Uh, have implemented uh, a royalty system where maybe I can even profit of that. And and if that happens, I wouldn't be against that. Yeah. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's another question. I mean, I think, um, yeah, going back to the, uh, yeah, the existing big tech companies and how they've used data yeah that, that's not the um the, the natural state seems to be not to pay people for their, for their contributions but <laughs> but it, it totally could it totally could happen and i think like a lot of the questions around this concern how the sort of regulatory regime will develop i think that these are the kind of important questions about this stuff because i mean i, I don't yeah. think it can be yeah. as lax as it has been in the last 20 years right because i mean i think it's just too dangerous potentially for that to be the case Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, I think Sam also said that um, when you talked about the the writers' uh, strike in Hollywood and stuff, Mm. um, that um, maybe, I don't know, but my feeling is a little bit that music has a little bit of a, still a little bit of a better situation when it comes to that question. compared to like movies and stuff like when you talk talked about i think that was you guys talking about like actors yeah maybe um you know just being scanned and then there's the cgi and they can use the actor like for whatever they want (laughs) yeah um and they don't need the actor anymore um which already happens by the way yeah like wasn't it like in this um in star wars they used carrie fisher didn't they yeah 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 so I don't know, like, I think, I think, and then you, you said that, um, that, uh, if there would be like a, kind of, I don't know, a royalty system or something. Yeah. Comparable. I mean, there's no reason why that sort of thing can't happen. And, and, you know, again, going back to the, like the, the kind of data thing, which is, you know, informed the digital ad industry, like there's no reason why people shouldn't have some but, sort of agency over data of their own that gets used, you know? Yeah. I mean, and the technology totally exists for that to happen. Yeah. So that brings me to a question I have to you. Like mm-hmm. um, when I listened to that episode, I obviously I, I, I could sense 
that you were like leaning a little bit more towards the negative outcome of this whole AI situation potentially. Um, and Sam was like a little bit more like, you know, like a little bit more like passive and charging it too soon. And, you know, like mentioning the stuff with the royalties as well. And um, maybe a little more like open towards the situation where also humans could um, profit off it or whatever. Um, and do you, do you sometimes like, uh, how would you judge like yourself when it comes to observing these type of developments? Do you in general, like also lean a little bit more to the negative or uh, would you say that you try to look at it as objective as possible, but it happens to you that sometimes the negativity draws you a little bit more because I know that in other fields for myself as well, that the, that I also, when it comes to other things, um, I sometimes like to see the pessimistic point of view more than the optimistic point of view. I have this discussion a lot with my wife. So um, how much does that play into the role like for you? I mean, I, I try, yeah, sure. I mean, I try to, um, or, I mean, stuff like this where you're you know, trying to predict the outcomes to something which we fairly confident is going to happen in some to some extent right and i guess my <clears throat> what i try to do if i'm consciously thinking about something and trying to take a certain approach i try to um think i try to establish what i think will happen in terms of like what's what are, you know what what are the developments going to be and then how will that how will they affect people's behavior so mm -hmm. i try and be objective in to that extent and I try, I, I just try and be realistic. I, I mean, I do my, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm by nature, a, a, a bit of a cynic. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I think with this kind of thing, I think it's, um, I think it's possible just to see, just to like step back and, and try and extrapolate on a balance of probabilities, you know? So mm -hmm. I think, so I think with, in, in this specific instance, I think, I mean, if there is an optimistic, well, it depends on what, you know, optimistic and, and pessimistic is, is a value judgment. I think, I actually think like, the most likely outcome to AI across the whole, you know, across the society as a whole is that there will be much more value given to stuff that people do manually with their hands. People, people mm -hmm. stuff that people create in a way which is directly tangible You know, so I think someone, I think someone who's able to play the piano to a, you know, concert level will be way more highly paid in 50 years time than they are now, for example. I think, mm -hmm. I think that's a like, mm -hmm. a likely outcome to this. And I, yeah. and I think that if you're talking about music, I think, you know, I think, I think there's a good chance that bands will come back in a big way. I think there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a, there's a, there's a real possibility for that. And But where will the where will the money be? It will be in paying to go and watch those bands play live. You know, like jam bands mm -hmm. potentially, because you can't fucking you know replicate a jam band really. Or you, I mean, you can, but like you can't in the sense that what's the joy in watching a jam band? It's it's watching that person do something that you can't do yourself. You know, you mean and like a chess band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like or improvising. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Or like you know, someone like I don't know, the Grateful Dead or Fish or you know whatever. Like you know, just um musical performance which is um you know which is completely dependent on the the, the technical skill of the the players involved you know like so i yeah. think i think there's it's a, it's completely plausible 
that that kind of thing could happen. And 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 maybe that's an optimistic view. Some other for other people it wouldn't be an optimistic view, you know. But I think <laughs> potentially it is. How do you see it in terms of sports? Do you well, see also like that that the manual labor in that aspect, like the fact the the factor of. I mean, being I a I think highly gifted. Well, I, I think football the, player the popularity of sports generally is is to a large extent for that reason, right? I mean, I think like, you know, like, yeah. like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi are two of the most famous people in the world. Yes. And it's because of stuff, it's because they can do stuff that no one else can. I mean, mm. less so in the, in the, in the case of Cristiano, arguably, <laughs> but you know, I'm, you know <laughs> what I'm saying, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely yeah, think that. I mean, and, and sport, yeah, it, by the it way, is... pays into your theory. For sure. sure. And, and sport yeah. is entertainment basically like that's it definitely counts under the same heading like that's that's the way people um like that's the kind of function that it fills in people's lives you know like it absolutely is i think right well, i don't know i think maybe maybe it's all just going to move to saudi arabia though i think that that's that's in the range <laughs> that, of outcomes that's, too that's that's actually a bit weird what's happening there i'm, I'm curious in the outcome of this project yeah um, man no but what i was just thinking why i had to laugh is um that yeah sometimes you know when uh, even in our field what we do now at the moment like when you know when there's a set and the dj is playing on a huge stage or something and maybe there's not the tailor-made visual maybe there's just you know like the, the promoter made an effort to make a nice situation light screen uh, screen decoration mm -hmm. and there's one dj standing there on a big platform and I don't know, let's let's say it's five thousand, ten thousand people. And some people are standing like way back and they maybe can't barely see the DJ's mm -hmm. appearance. Why why is it still so important that there is somebody standing there? Yeah, I mean I think um well I, I think ultimately that's the kind of problem with like the expectation of DJing and DJ sets becoming decoupled from what it originally was, which is to say a relatively small club and right. um, it's, it's one person controlling music. But actually, by the way, you know, originally, if you're talking about those, uh, like the, the kind of early proper house and techno stuff in the States and, and other places, like the DJ wasn't the focus of the room anyway. Like, you know, in, in those clubs, it was often like the DJs like way off up, up on the roof somewhere or not, you know, like not directly visible by the majority of the dance floor. So, I mean, if we, you know, go, to go back to the sort of hard techno stuff and the potential for a, you know, the inevitable reaction to that style and, and you know, and to whatever style um, is, is popular in terms of like, you know, the high energy stuff and like the kind of big production stuff. Like maybe it's, you know, to go the complete opposite from this kind of visually and kind of experiential, you know, event which is such a big thing now in, in all aspects. And may, maybe the reaction at some point could be to go back to that, you know, really small, not even necessarily small, but just like, you know, have the focus, the focus is not necessarily on the performer. I mean, that's a big reach and I'm not sure if I could ever foresee that happening, but it, it's, it's totally possible. Yeah. Um, what I just thought about when you think about Kraftwerk and what they did with the robots on stage. Mm. Um, at some point, um, I don't know if they still do it like that. I guess so. But um, I think they were one of the first 
acts that try to have only robots on stage and mm. have a concert, right? Yeah. Um, or at least those imageries of a robot. Like the robots didn't actually play instruments or something, but it was just about this visual, visual situation. But let's picture um, a world where 95% of events would be um, like that, where there is a, a visual display or maybe a 3D experience. Um, at the, talking about the concerts now, I, I, I wonder if that would be as satisfying. I mean, I'm not even, I don't know. Like, it's not like I doubt it. I just wonder. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that the argument against that being a satisfying experience is that people want to be looking at someone who is, it's, it's back to that sports thing or that kind of like, you know, the, the performance thing. People want to be in the presence of something which they can't do themselves or they kind of aspire to doing. I think that's a really kind of like key part of that sort of um, any kind of performance environment, you know, where if you're going, if you're going to something, if you're going to see something that you um, see some, some performance that you, that you like. I mean, I mean, having said that, like the, the AI DJ is totally something which could be, I mean, you could imagine sort of mainstream clubs, you know, cause I mean, the, you know, those, those sorts of clubs where people just go to on a Friday night to have a drink and have a dance, you know, those sorts of environments, a hundred percent could be, yeah, you know, that must be already happening. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, but, but, but you could, you could imagine that like you could add a lot of value to that environment through using kind of AI technology, you know, potentially, and maybe, maybe make them, better in some way i don't know but like but i but i do think that if there's going to be a sort of a trend that emerges as a result of the increasing ubiquity of of ai stuff all throughout society i think like i said before going back to what i said i think it will be value in things which are not replicable you know and there's not going to be many of those things that's the thing so so yeah do you think do you think more people will potentially go like off the grid in the future maybe because of those accumulating developments in that sense yeah but also i think that there'll be a there could very well be a, a sort of industry providing that kind of environment you know so like a sort of a, a section of the travel industry which provides um you know sort of controlled um, off the grid experiences, if you know what I mean, you know, like yeah. I, I don't know if you have. Do, have, do you seen Total Recall? Uh, with you mean with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total Recall just popped into my head. While I was saying that because that's yeah, the whole, yeah, um, yeah, yeah like it's, it's ages ago, but I need to rewatch it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the whole Mars thing about that. It's just like the kind of experiences on Mars, and, and um, but actually, it, it's not Mars, is it? Because it's um, the uh, it's it's sort of like linked in well, and just. Neuralink just popped into my head, Elon Musk's Neuralink thing. But yeah, so they have like a kind of implant and you go on a holiday, but you're not actually on holiday. You know, it's like a, you know, you just go to sleep. Right? I mean, like, like the metrics also. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, those, those kinds of things, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's all on the agenda, man. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, it's yeah. super interesting to think about that. But, but like I said, like what, what I really find fascinating is, is people's reaction to the fact that it's coming because it's a, like I've, I've spoken to a lot of people I, I ask this question to a lot of people just just socially you know and people are really intimidated by it and don't want to engage with it oftentimes you know just don't want to talk about it yeah 
because they find it a kind of intimidating thing which seems to be on the horizon and they're not quite sure how it's going to affect them but yeah yes yeah from what i what i heard um the whole Neuralink thing is i mean <laughs> to be fair i have no fucking clue about this yeah um <laughs> but uh what i heard is that it's working really well to like get information out of the brain mm-hmm. like let's say motor control or maybe even you know like that already started with like being able to read brain waves and stuff mm-hmm. um but apparently what is really really tough and not working well or maybe even at all yet is getting stuff into the brain like um that is kind of like the big hurdle that um the whole neuralink situation has because if you want to go to a level of a society where you can really like you know being plugged into something and then you experience a different life then you need to obviously have outgoing and incoming information it's your your brain yeah. needs yeah. to have some kind of internal external interface yeah yeah sure um, sure and and the internal one is apparently one of the biggest hurdles still mm-hmm. Oh, but um you know i'm still convinced that they will overcome that hurdle um yeah but uh, i think it's gonna take a while and and there there we are now again also um we couldn't have imagined like i mean this is the old example it has a beard like from here to the floor but it's good to bring it up you know imagine you tell somebody in 1750 the shit we do right now mm-hmm. i mean it's how long how far is that ago not even 300 years yeah um like they would say okay what the f- this is not humanity anymore like <laughs> flying through the air like uh landed on the moon like those what are those small little weird mirrors you are carrying around <laughs> and tapping on all day um like, how can you get 89 years old? Um, yeah. I mean, people got that old in the 1750s, but not that many. And, sure. um, and then TV came. Everybody has this little machine where you can look into the distant world, uh, a window to stuff happening on the other side of the earth. What the fuck is going on? Like, what does this to society? Like, suddenly you can see what's happening in USA, but you are in China. Uh, this is not normal how, how, how will people react like they, they, they will be influenced by so many factors like is, mm-hmm. you know what i mean you know where mm-hmm. i'm getting at yeah, yeah um i think um it's just uh, the thing is uh, there's an open end man yeah we have we have no idea and it, but, but one thing is sure it is gonna end um, <laughs> um and uh and there's a very cheap German expression. It says, um, uh, I say it in German now, alles hat ein Ende, nur die Wurst hat zwei. Um, everything has an end, just the sausage doesn't because it has two. <laughs> right. You know? Um, wow, that's, that's a very German saying. Right yeah, there. it is, right? <laughs> I mean, but uh, it's coming to an end, man. Like either the sun is getting too close in 1.5 million years. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, there is, there is a, there is a, there is an end to stuff at some point for sure. And I'm just, and you know, we are here 
on this planet for the glimpse of an eye. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. One human life is nothing in terms of time spent on the planet. Um, so, I mean, there's so much bad and there's also good. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. It's can be can be very very bleak you know it can be but in in this all those bleak outcomes there probably will be also a couple of really good moments i guess absolutely yeah. absolutely man well listen this has been fun this has been good man yeah it has been but i talk to i talk too much <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me again yeah and i really i really love your your project with the podcast i really love what you do with it it's uh, important it's an important thing um to that that we have in the electronic music music scene i think and you have great guests and i i think it's really cool cheers man awesome yeah cheers man yeah that was recondite and as i mentioned up at the top i hit upon a line of inquiry regarding ai that i really find interesting and that is people's i guess instinctive reactions to it i've had a few conversations socially recently in which i've asked people about what they think about it and what the changes might be in society and how it might impact what they do for work and uh, the most common reaction i have experienced has been a real inclination not to engage with it at all like i think people are very very scared about it and very very intimidated by it i don't think people feel like they fully understand it in a lot of cases and there is a tendency that I've noticed just to kind of switch off from it, which I think is not the best way of going about this at all. I think if our elected representatives take that approach, then we're all going to be in a lot of trouble. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to, I guess, educate ourselves as much as we possibly can and really think about it in as meaningful a way as possible, really. So, yeah, I mean, in particular, the question I asked about opting out of the scraping that goes on to, to feed these um, generative models, the large language models, which, which rely on huge amounts of data being fed into them, like the efforts to be able to, to enable people to be able to opt out of that. I think that's a really interesting question. And actually, the, um, the answer that Lawrence gave was a really interesting one actually, because I would have thought, I think the most intuitive answer to that, I think for most artists, or maybe th maybe thinking about artists in the abstract anyway, would be for them to want to opt out and to be able to protect themselves. But I think actually the answer that Lawrence gave might be quite common. So that's an interesting one to revisit in subsequent episodes. So this was good. It was definitely worth having him back. I think you'll agree. And we're going to have a few more repeat guests over the coming weeks and months. But like I said, the majority will. Don't worry. The majority will be fresh meat, as it were. Okay, I'm done here. Thank you for listening again. If you want to support us, then the way to do it is on Patreon. Patreon.com slash official. I mentioned at the top. But um, yeah, your support would be extremely valued if you feel the uh, feel the need if you found it in the corners of your heart to do that we'd be extremely grateful so yeah please do otherwise leave us a review or a rating also helps five stars please thank you join us on my discord hotflushrecordings.com slash discord and follow the spotify playlist there's links in the show notes to all that stuff and my appearance on willie joy's podcast and all the rest of it so yeah i'm out this has been a fun episode i'll see you back here same time same place next week for the next episode of the not a diving podcast thank you Thank you.
Skåva. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.